This is the Luke 10-2 podcast, a conversation about preaching, planting, and leading with Noah Oldham. On today's episode, we sit down with Noah to talk about developing a preaching calendar in the church planting context. This is a super helpful episode for any preacher. Let's get started. Well, Noah, great to be here with you today. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the preaching calendar. Um, First of all, why is it important for people to think about a preaching calendar if they're preaching? Yeah, I think that there's a couple ways to look at a preaching calendar. Some people may think that it's overly burdensome and binding because we want to follow the Holy Spirit. And so let's just uh, listen to the Spirit week in and week out, and then eventually... um, God will take us in a new direction if he wants us to. And other people can be really rigid with a preaching calendar. Say, this is what we're preaching, and we're never going to divert from this. But I think you've got to find a different balance uh, for that. But I do believe a preaching calendar is important. Because you, as the visionary leader of the church, underneath the lordship of Christ, need to learn the rhythms of listening to the Lord and what he's saying for the church in a season, and then take the church in that direction purposefully. So you don't have a preaching calendar. You're not able to do that because that's the time the whole church is together and that's the time that togetherness is truly developed. The whole church culture is developed more from the pulpit than it is anywhere else in the church. So then talk to us about it. Um, how would you go about thinking through the preaching calendar? Yeah, I would encourage everybody to think through the preaching calendar at multiple levels. Uh, first, uh, the largest level possible, or largest level helpful, I think. I believe in looking at the preaching calendar um, an entire year at a time. Some people go up to two years. Some people say, let's do the next six months. I like to look at it um, very specifically for a year and then expand beyond that and say, here's where I think we might go next, but leave room for the Lord to change those plans. So here's a few things I think every year that a, a pastor, a planter needs to think about. First, I think they need to think vision every year. Every year, finding a place for a vision series in your preaching calendar. Um, Without vision, people are going to, without vision from you, people are going to come up with their own vision. There's this this thing called uh, vision leak or Mm -hmm. mission creep. It's going to constantly be losing steam, just like a helium balloon. Before you know it, that thing is no longer sticking to the ceiling. It's floating in the middle of the room. The same thing happens with people's hearts. Same thing happens with the energy and the momentum of the church. We're moving in direction. But the farther you get away from your last opportunity to cast vision, the farther people get away from the the, the pure mission and vision of the church. And so there's different ways to do this. One of the ways I like to do this is choose a book that gives you the opportunity to preach that vision. I don't mean eisegesis. Mm -hmm. Just picking a book and then throwing your vision into it. But God has done this over and over again. Here's a couple of examples. Um, The Old Testament example that I like to use with, with planters is encouraging them to preach the book of Jonah. Jonah is the story about God sending a missionary to a city that God loves and the missionary doesn't necessarily love. Mm-hmm. Go get those people because there's so many people there and all these cattle that I care about and you might not. And it's a missionary that doesn't want to go, which is so often the story of God's people. And so that's an opportunity to cast a vision for your church to be on mission. Another opportunity in the Old Testament is the book of Nehemiah. 
several years ago. Uh, we went through a series in Nehemiah. We called it Rise Up and Build because it was a meta-narrative of what God's doing uh, with his people. He's got a call for his glory to be on display in this city, but there's damage that's been done. There's, it takes a building up, a coming together. There's the enemy coming from the outside. There's the trusting God's providence through um, uh, Nehemiah's conversation as the, uh, back in the kingdom in Susa. There's all these things, and we use that as an opportunity to cast vision during a summer. And then the New Testament, I mean, come, come on, if you can't preach the book of Acts, especially the first several chapters, and preach the vision of the church, then maybe the vision of your church is wrong. But you should get into Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 and call your church. These are the rhythms that Christ has called us to. Let's get back into them. Let's commit to them for the next year. So every year, think vision. Next, every year, think meta narrative. Look at your preaching calendar and ask the question, how do I help our people understand the whole counsel of God's word? A great way to do this is to often go back and forth between the Old Testament and New Testament. Because when you do that and you start a new book, it's a great opportunity to use the, the, the beginning portion of that first sermon to catch people up. Well, here's where we've been, if you've been in the Old Testament. Really quickly walk through the meta narrative and then point them to where you're at in the New Testament or vice versa, you've been in the New Testament, now you're saying, here we, we, we just were here in the story of God. Now we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to go back to 700 years before, whatever it might be. And you use that opportunity to give people an introduction to the meta narrative. But then you can then show them in your sermon series how this fits into the longitudinal themes of the Bible and especially the Christological themes of how it points to Jesus and tells his story. So think vision every year, think meta narrative every year, and then finally, um, think partnership every year. I think that something that every church should do is on their preaching calendar, plan at least once a year, if not multiple times, when you're going to bring partners in to share your pulpit. So for us, we call it Church Planting Sunday. We support a number of church plants. We bring those church planters in. We throw all of their pictures up on the screen, and then one of them preaches. And so if only one guy can make it, he's the preacher. Other guys, we're going to put their, their picture on the screen, but this guy's going to preach, and it gives us an opportunity as a body to remember that we're a part of this guy's ministry. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about my voice. It's not just about our church. It's about the, the larger kingdom. And I think that churches that do this well, um, they really see this sense of kingdom mentality in their church grow because their people are like, we're a part of this. I can't tell you, I got a partner down in, um, in Rogers, Arkansas, that every year has a, a mission celebration, and my picture gets thrown back up on the screen whether I'm there or I'm not, and every time it does, several friends that I've made in that church, they text me a picture of the screen with my picture on it and say, hey, reminded to pray for you again, brother. Like, awesome. We're recommitted to the work that you're doing in St. Louis. And then that church is just, they, they're killing it. They know how to do that, and I want church plants to learn from churches like that. So think vision, think meta-narrative, think partnership every year. Every year. Cool. What's the next level? Yeah, so the next level, I think, is think rhythms of the church. So it's these seasons. So our cultural calendar gives us this. Mm -hmm. So whether you, um, you have, have young kids in your church or it's just college students or it's just teachers, there's this natural rhythm in our culture of the fall being the beginning of a school year. So right after Labor Day, even if school starts before that, Labor Day is kind of the end of the summer, swimming pools are closed, people are taking their last vacations, the last three-day weekend, and then, boom, new rhythms. Mm -hmm. So using those cultural rhythms to maximize your calendar, people are getting back in. Don't start a sermon series in August. Start it in September. Yeah. We, we want to make sure college students all come back in August Gate, South City. 
give us time for them to get back before we start something new so they can plug in and they can be there for the whole thing. Yeah. And then you think, okay, you've got the fall where people get their rhythms down. But then you got Christmas. Christmas is going to be a different rhythm because now you have people that are checking out church because they're thinking Christmas, they're thinking Christ, whether they're, um, they're mainline Protestants culturally, but they're not a part of a church. They may come back during that season to check things out. They're thinking about Christian things. So maximize that. Mm-hmm. Do Pause wherever you're at. Do an Advent sermon if you're in a liturgical area. Do a Christmas um, attractional uh, if you're in more of a suburban setting that would uh, provide for that. Think cultural rhythms. And then after you get through that uh, Christmas season, then you've got the spring leading up to Easter. Now this is often a season where you don't see a ton of growth because in a lot of places it's cold and people don't want to get outside. They're going to be uh, super irregular with their attendance. But what it can be is it can be a time to develop the faithful members of your church. Okay, we're about to get to Easter when people are checking out church again. Yeah. People are willing to take an invite. So let's go deep. Let's develop something within us. Missionary mindset, looking outward. Mm-hmm. It's cold outside, but it's warm in here. So let's huddle together. Let's grow in our intimacy with God, intimacy with one another. So when the calendar changes and the season gets warm, we can go outside and live as missionaries. So I like to take those first few months of the year, January, February, and March, and think that way. And by the time you're done with that, you enter into the Easter season. Now, Easter is an opportunity to say, let's be outward focused. Let's be attractional. Let's do things and say things in such a way that people who are willing to check out church will be will hear the idiom mm-hmm. and it will track them in. And then Easter, you have the after Easter, getting people plugged in. And so that's an awesome opportunity for vision, an awesome opportunity for connectivity, for something that's going to allow people to understand the basics of the faith. And then the summertime comes and you've got rhythms there as well. And uh, often summertime we'll use for um, thematic series because people are going to miss yeah. They're going to miss the week after week because of vacations or sports and different things. And you could try to fight that all you want. Or you can do a series in Psalms or Proverbs where it's, you're going to bounce around anyway because you're never going to cover all of them in one summer. So you choose them and so people don't ever feel lost, like they miss something. Yeah. So that's an example of what I try to do. And I think that those, those seasonal, that seasonal framework is something really to be thought about. Cool. Yeah. So yearly. Seasonally. Seasonally. Yeah. And next for me is monthly. I think every month you need to think development. Every month you need to think development. So I think that a, a preacher should give up the pulpit at least once a month. Once a month, I think for many, is the magic number. Mm-hmm. For two reasons. Number one, the first reason is development. If you want to be a church that develops a culture of sending, you've got to multiply preachers. Because what we've seen by and large in most situations, in most cultural climates, satellite with the, the live feed does not work as well as live preaching. People often go there because they have a main communicator that's just so good and head and shoulders above others that that just makes sense to do that. And I understand why they do it. But we decided from the very beginning, knowing the anecdotal, the baseline evidence that live preaching is always gonna be preferred is to develop live preachers. Mm-hmm. Well, it's gonna be a while maybe in your church. You gotta start now, don't start later. They're not gonna pop up out of the ground. Don't, you don't always have to send them off to seminary either. Raise them up in the context of your local church with preaching labs and those kinds of things. But think monthly. Give someone else an opportunity. This is an opportunity to have other elders in your church, a church planning resident, church planning intern, um, other um, guest preachers. But it's, it's giving your people an opportunity to hear another voice. Mm-hmm. 
and to have an opportunity to give somebody an opportunity to develop. And then the second thing I want somebody to do, to consider doing monthly, is, uh, is monthly thinking about rest. So if you share your pulpit, you give your pulpit up once a month, that's also an opportunity for you to rest. Now I would say to do that, it can't always be development. Every time you leave the pulpit, you give it to somebody who's in development, you're going to become a nervous wreck. Because if you're not there, you're not going to know how well they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so you're always like, I've got to be there though. And so you never rest. So build a brotherhood with other trusted people that every once in a while, when you take off your week at your church to give it to somebody else, you're able to go rest that week. Other times, you're filling in for another brother at his church. And if you get a rhythm like that, once a month you can be out of your church. Someone else is either there to preach for you or, or to check in on your, on your development process. And so um, every year, vision, meta-narrative, partnership, every season, rhythms of the church, and then every month, think development. But we're still not done. Because if you fill in all these places, you look at all, the, all the, the rhythms and the seasons and this process of development, you think Old Testament and New Testament, you think vision, you still have the week in, week out grind. What does it look like to continue to develop your preaching calendar week in and week out? And what I would say that is every week think adornment. Think adornment. So one of the mistakes we can make is we can set our preaching calendar and then forget it. Set it and forget it. We know what our next text is. We'll just study that when we get there. And what I've, I've noticed in my own life, in the life of guys that are like me, is that we lose creativity. We stop thinking about it, which means we stop praying about it. We can just phone it in. Well, I, I know how to exegete Scripture, so I'll just come and I'll be faithful to the text. But what we start realizing is we lose all our passion and we lose all that sense of compelling because we're not in it. We're not hungry for it. So to stay hungry, I think each and every week you need to think adornment. You need to think what story is the entire service telling, not just my sermon. Mm -hmm. That's why I believe that preachers need to be the quote-unquote worship pastor. That doesn't mean I think they need to lead the songs. Someone else most likely needs to lead the songs. <laughs> so it's not the one-man show or because most preachers I know are probably not very good singers as well. Usually, you know, you're good at one thing and not the other, unless you're some of the guys that are in my life are just good at everything and make me jealous. But I would say think adornment. At our church, we've tried to develop a process of saying we want everything in our service to point to the gospel, to adorn the gospel. From the secondary elements of things like the temperature of the room to the sound of the music beforehand and afterwards, what songs are we choosing? The, are they upbeat songs? Are they, they songs in a minor key? What, what kind of cultural moment are we trying to create when people walk in, uh, but, but also every element. And don't get stale of thinking, all right, we're going to be like we always do. I'll, that guy picked the songs. They'll start with an upbeat song. They'll welcome everybody in. We'll do two songs. I'll preach a sermon. We'll do communion. We'll do two more songs, and then we'll go home. Mm -hmm. That's lazy. And at the end of the day, it ends up lacking adornment of the gospel. People come in. You preached a gospel faithful sermon, but nothing happened, and people felt nothing. Why? Because it became rote. You phoned it in. But if you think adornment every week, you think, okay, God, how do you want to put the gospel on display? Stir us up. What do you want to accomplish? And you begin to pray that prayer, and God begins to answer that. You get in that rhythm of every week thinking adornment. God's going to come in and set that preaching calendar on fire in a good way. He's not going to scrap it. He's going to say, okay, you have set this. You have planned well, and I am going to show up in the midst of all of it and execute it for you. That's awesome. So can I ask a few um, questions? Please do. Um, first of all, 
Um, how long are your series typically? When you after you thought yearly, you thought about the rhythms and the seasons. Um, how long are you typically doing a series? Yeah, so we've made some mistakes in the past of taking series too long, I think. The Gospel of Mark we did, we did it in 51 weeks, I believe, and it was like 51 straight weeks. Um, we didn't stop for seasons, uh, very much at least. We got into the, uh, into the book of Acts and we decided to take another route. We said, let's break it up into four sub-series. Mm -hmm. So the main series was called We Are Witnesses. And the whole uh, beginning to end is witnesses for the gospel. And we broke it up into um, really thematic chunks, 1 through 7, 8 through 12, 13 through 20, 21 through 28, as sub-series with their own title and own branding that was a part of the larger branding. And we got the end of one of those series, and we were like, let's pause for four weeks. We paused for four weeks. Mm -hmm. Or it's Christmas, let's pause for Christmas. Yeah. Or let's work another smaller book in here. We can do that, and then we can come back to it. Yeah. So we've given our, we've learned a lot. We've given ourselves freedom to do that. So I would say there's a couple things you want to think about. One, you want to think about preaching fatigue, like for you and for the people. I was in uh, Ecclesiastes years ago, early on in the life of our church. And if you've ever uh, preached Ecclesiastes or maybe just read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that really quickly it can become very depressing. <laughs> if you just go through it, it's very cyclical. It's the same themes over and over again. And we had some people finally just say, we, we gotta move on. This is, this is, it may literally kill some people if we don't, we don't do something. And so we did chapter, uh, verse by verse, through like chapters one through six or one through seven, and then we took the last five or six chapters and did it all in one week. I just said, I saw five major themes that I wanted to hit from those end chapters, hit those and we were done and we moved on to something in a major key. We got away from all that minor stuff. Um, so I think, I think you've got to think preaching fatigue for yourself. Have you lost vision? Have you lost steam here? Do you usually lose that about you know, six, seven, eight weeks in? Figure that out um, for yourself in time, also for people. Is there a diversity within what you're teaching um, to give people um, excitement and, and growth each and every week. So if you're preaching something long, like a narrative, like the, uh, the book of Genesis, or maybe even a gospel, where a lot of things can seem, you've gotta find ways to not, not teach the pericopes about healing the exact same way. What are the different nuances here? What is God saying? What is God showing? If you plan well in advance, you can highlight some of those main themes in different ways, and you can fight against fatigue. So really it comes down personally to that, yeah. but I would say make sure that you give yourself the opportunity to pause. Um, you know, somebody once told me, I think it's true that John Piper, one of the greatest preachers, uh, at least in this generation, this lifetime, um, that he's one of the greatest, he, that he went through the book of Romans in like 10 years. Mm -hmm. I think he paused here and there, but man, I don't know any preacher besides John Piper that's good enough to preach through one book for 10 years. I just, I just don't see it. So don't do that. Don't think that you're the next John Piper, that you're the exception to the rule. Instead, learn from other people, look at their websites, look at their sermon series. Okay, that's 10 weeks. That might be good to start out, mm -hmm. especially for guys who are new to preaching. Uh, guys who come out of youth ministry or college ministry aren't used to preaching full, weighty, thick sermons week in and week out until Jesus comes back. Mm -hmm. They think they are, because they may be taught every week. They gave, and I'm gonna be honest, as a youth pastor, I gave a lot of talks. I called it preaching, but these things were a lot of talks because I could develop them in 25 minutes before I preached. Um, the, like the day of, but when I got into preaching each and every, the weight of the sermon is so different, yeah. and I needed to make sure I gave myself time and I uh, and I sat in it. So you're going to learn some of those rhythms. Learn those rhythms for yourself. Start slow, start small. Don't bite off too much, and then grow those series as God gives the growth and the grace to do so. Okay. Next question: When you 
sit down to do this? Are you in a room by yourself looking at the calendar? You know, do you have a system in place personally for how you actually go about putting the preaching calendar on paper? Yeah, so at our church, we, we call our ministry year fall through the end of summer. Mm-hmm. That's our ministry year. So we're coming up on the, the ministry year uh, here really soon. And so um, what we would say is plan, let's plan that. Let's think about all the things we want to accomplish. So we know when Christmas is going to be. Mm-hmm. We know when we're going to, when we want to start. So how many weeks do we have? How do we fill that well? And then we, we look at the calendar for the next year. Okay, when does Easter fall this year? Yeah. When does the summer? We look at our gospel community rhythms, our quote-unquote semesters or trimesters for community rhythms. Uh, when do that, those start and begin? Can we find ways to maximize and to leverage those start and end dates for series? So we're thinking about So you're that. kind of doing that before you finalize yeah. preaching calendar. But we're also saying at the same time uh, among the eldership, what is God wanting to do in this season? Mm-hmm. Where are we at? We're asking, where have we been? Well, we just ended an Old Testament or we just ended a New Testament. We ended thematic. We probably know that means let's diversify. Let's go the other side. If we've been old, let's go new. If we've been thematic, let's go expository. We've been expository for a long time. Maybe we need to throw in a vision series that's really thematic mm-hmm. that has a little more attraction to it. You know, I think a lot of guys who are, who are young and inexperienced but really excited about preaching, um, they get really dogmatic about this. They think to be an expository preacher, you only preach through books of the Bible. And anybody who preaches thematically is all of a sudden unfaithful. Mm-hmm. Man, that's garbage. That's just garbage. Because as you begin to preach, you realize faithfulness, it looks a lot of different ways. And when I look at the Bible and I look at sermons in the Bible by people that are preaching in the narratives, I never see a purely expositional sermon. The first gospel sermon, Peter jumped all over the place. And we'd be like, well, he's not faithful. No, it was the first gospel sermon, and thousands of people responded in faith. When's the last time your expository, you know, expository sermon did that? Mm-hmm. Same time, the whole, book, whole counsel of God's word, exposition, I believe, is the most faithful way to do that on a regular basis. So we've got to be open-handed with those things and give grace, and we have to bring other people into it. Yeah. If you get a bunch of nerds in the room, if your elders are all Bible nerds, and you get in the room and say, this is what we want to accomplish, and you don't consult... Um, the common person in your church, the average person, you don't bring your wives into that conversation. Mm-hmm. Man, anytime you have one demographic planning everything for the whole church, you can miss out on so many beneficial things that God gives us through diversity. So I'd say diversify that, put it in front of other people. I like to do that, put it in front of my elders of what God may be doing before I get too far, yeah. and then put it before my wife and some other leaders in our church. What do you think about this? Yeah. And this is why, and they're like, oh, I like that. I like to put it in front of our creative director does all of our graphic design anyway. We need to work hand in glove. Mm-hmm. But I put it in front of him, and he begins to dream about designs and way to creatively tell the story. So we're ahead of the game if he gets on board. Yeah, that's really good. Um, cool. Any other practical things like that that you think would be helpful to, for people to hear? Yeah, I think when you're doing this, another thing is you're building out your preaching calendar. Get a number of commentaries before you get into... Uh, the depth of the commentary, the specifics of what that text says, mm-hmm. go to the very beginning, the table of contents, uh, if they have it, or just go throughout the commentary, look flipping through, and look at the outline. Look how this person, who's probably been preaching longer than you and more faithful than you, look how they broke up the text, yeah. how many weeks they broke it up into. So don't just get uh, expositional commentaries, get preaching commentaries. Preaching commentaries are simply those that were most likely sermons that were just written out Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden um, you have somebody else's work right there in front of you again don't steal their work how do they break it up and what you'll find is there's a common thread 
that really close to the same number of weeks. I remember looking at a book, and uh, one commentator is 15, one 16, one 17, and I looked at one of them, and one of them is Presbyterian, and there was a text on baptism. He just didn't even preach because he didn't because it didn't fit their doctrinal stance, so he just kind of left it alone, um, or didn't re- record it or something. I'm not sure, but it wasn't in the commentary. But the other two guys did. And the other reason that one of them was one, one week longer is because, or one text longer, is because he broke up a really important text into two, did exposition of it one week, and did thematic the next week. Gotcha. But I realized there's major threads, so you don't have to do all the work yourself. Yeah. Lean on people who have gone before you and realize there's nothing new under the sun, and they're going to be able to help you out in that. Thanks for listening to the Luke 10.2 podcast. For more information about the SEND network in St. Louis, visit SEND.com. Visit SEND.com stl.com